1996, author David Foster Wallace released his magnum opus, Infinite Jest. It was praised as a masterpiece, a postmodern deconstruction of the American novel. Unfortunately, it's really not very good. The book, everyone swears they'll get to one day, that they've been preached at by literary nerds for years. Well, now that day has come. Join me, Jesse Graham, on a begrudging book club of my least favorite novel on the I Hate Infinite Jest podcast. Episode 1, pages 1 to 33, with guest Dan Ostrov. I'm going to start recording. Says we're recording. Okay, joining us for episode one of the I Hate Infinite Jest podcast, the man who without this podcast would not exist because I wouldn't have had anyone to be rude and argue with about uh, <laughs> comedian, lifesaver, all-around re- wrestler, renaissance man, Dan Ostrov. How you doing, buddy? Good, good. Good to see you. Good to see you, too. Good to see anybody. So... Uh, just a little background for the people. Well, actually, you know what? Just tell us tell us who you are, anything you have to promote. Let's get that right out there. Anything I, anything I have to promote. Um, yeah, I've, I'm actually like, I got booked solid. Before the quarantine, <laughs> I was booked solid for May. Like, not even just the weekends. <laughs> no. Um, what do I have? I, oh, I'm actually in this, um, uh, it's called like, I, I should look it up. Um, June Fools on uh, uh, it's it's the um, yeah six four so the fourth of fourth uh, of June there there's like there is I guess some kind of show for um, it's comedians who are also teachers as well um, okay. like Casey Kuftick. Mm-hmm. Um, was doing it and um i mean just like a, a lamar todd i believe um is one of the headliners betty smithsonian's a headliner so um yeah i, I don't know that's that's the only thing i have to promote oh yeah, i, I mean i guess a, I promote, I not a whole lot uh, we can oh. what's that sorry could you say that again what you said about the shields i believe we cut out for a second oh no problem um yeah so uh I've, I've also been making um, face shields. My school has a, has a fab lab, so we have a laser cutter. And kind of really early on, um, I heard, heard that people were making these face shields for frontline workers, so kind of realized we could do it. Um, and we, uh, we downloaded a design, and then we did some uh, alterations to it, and then just kind of started production and it's actually been crazy. We've we've made about five thousand face shields so far, and um, we're now I now have like other manufacturers that are basically using my designs. So we've been able to like up production, uh, and we're getting a patent on it. So it's kind of like my life has just been face shields for the past two months, really. Hey, that's great. I mean, as as much fun as a lot of people have had with uh, webcam open mics, I think you're doing the greater good focus by making making your life face masks for the time being. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like a weird thing, and that you don't know. You're like in your mind, you're like these are these are helping people, but it's it's like you don't know. You know, you know, it's like 
you get enough I, face shields on enough people. You, you make it, it leaves your hands, and then it goes on and has its own life. You can only really imagine what's happening yeah. to it. So Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. So if you're listening to this in the future, uh, let's say in the year of the tuck medicated pad year, <laughs> uh, we are recording this in week. All I know is this is week nine of our quarantine. Me and my girlfriend moved into this place and we're working from home that week. And like everything shut down like two days after me and her moved in together. So, wow. Yeah. Wow. Trial by fire. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad I picked a good one because yeah. uh, this would be a, this would be a really bad time to find out she had like you know a bad fucking glue sniffing habit. And <laughs> but nah, here we are. So far, so far, our uh, Elmers remain unopened, so everything's good in that regard. And I'm getting around to some projects I've been putting off for a while, like this, the I Hate Infinite Jest podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, I first started doing stand-up about six years ago, and I don't remember where in this you and I first made uh, acquaintance. Do, do you have any idea where we met? I don't remember that at all. Well, this has to do with the with with this podcast, where the first I I think I had maybe seen you on on stage at the Grape Room, okay. but I didn't really know you. So that and, was that was the first era. So I was really edgy and like borderline racist. I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, uh, that's possible yeah <laughs> but um yeah so i i, I knew i kind of knew who you were and then you had you had put up a facebook post being like i hate this fucking book like why you know this this book sucks and i saw that and it was like we, you know, we didn't get into like a big art. It, it's like, you know, you kind of, I think we like, I, I had said something to defend the book. Um, I, I actually took more of your um, post being like, I, 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 it was more directed at, at like David Foster Wallace's uh, fans and like mm -hmm. sycophants, basically. Mm -hmm. You know, people that like, even though this guy's been dead for over a, a decade, I think, are still like, oh, David Foster Wallace, you know. Right. Um, you know, so, uh, and I think there is like a differentiation between like his work and his like fan base. Um, you know, but I, I, but we did get into, uh, we did get into an argument, but it, you know, it didn't really go into, I, I think we were both kind of like, yeah, this can't really be argued. In, fa in a Facebook comment section. Right. It's, I just, uh, I, I remember myself at the time. I really should have dug up the initial exchange. I might dig up the initial exchange and do that in post. But uh, <laughs> I was not, I was not a good arguer then, which is a nice way of saying I was a fucking asshole a lot of the time. Um, if anything, I think that, I think that's one of the ways stand up comedy has definitely made me a better person is I got better not only at listening, but gauging like, oh, is this really the response I want, you know? Right. So right. If, if I was rude to you back then, I apologize because that is almost certainly the way I remember it. Because unfortunately, a lot of my comedy friendships have started with me like fucking hate, not that this was you, with me like, oh, fuck <laughs> that guy. And then learning literally anything about them and being like, oh, he's a pretty respect, he's a pretty stand up guy, actually. <laughs> So. Well, I mean, what I did respect is that you had read the book or you'd read, you'd at least read. I, I, 
I read about 400 pages. Yeah. I, I really gave it a shot. Yeah. So I, I, I like that because I feel there's a lot of people who would, you know, like, be like, oh, I hate this. It's so stupid. Like David Foster Wallace would be like, yeah, have you read it? And be like, well, no, I, I actually didn't read. Like, I read like the first 20 pages. I'm not you much know, of a reader. Like, you know, if, if you read, I was like, well, I was, I remember being like annoyed and then being like, well, you know, like, why why am i so upset that's like it's not like everybody has to like things that you like i think right. i think people get there's like so much battles of like not only do i like it but if somebody else doesn't like it that sort of invalidates me not like it's like whoa what you know and and, and i think we kind of need i i realize like over the day being annoyed i'm like well it's yeah not everybody's gonna like the same things it's like right I, I at least respect that this person gave it a shot. You know, mm -hmm. if you read 400 pages of it and you still don't like it, maybe maybe you just don't like it. <laughs> right. And I, I have to admit, I have my own, uh, I, I, I recorded a prologue episode, which will be like the introductory one. That's essentially uh, episode zero. Yeah. I, I joked that if I wanted to be a, a real smarmy dickhead, I would have made that the last episode in tribute to Infinite Jest. But... Uh, <laughs> But I mentioned in there, I actually make a weird correlation with this book and the movie Napoleon Dynamite, which I don't expect to make any sense. But where I come from with that is that these were both things that I heard great accolades for. It's a, I was hearing about the cool new thing and like, oh, I want to get in there. I want to experience the cool new thing. And for both of them, I was just befuddled, like... <laughs> and part of it's like, all right, you know what? Some things are just not for me. I get that some things are not for me, and that is fine. Yeah. But most of those, it, it it really did just enrage me to a degree that I I cannot grab with either of them. It's like, what is everybody else getting out of this? It's not that I'm not getting it. It's that I don't even know what the fuck everyone else is experiencing, and it's just it, it's it's a going being a reader searching for enlightenment and finding a dead end you're not the type to just turn around you want to knock down the fucking walls and find out why is there a goddamn dead end here right so right. why did everybody like well <laughs> that's interesting too because yeah napoleon dynamite it's like i was like oh everybody everybody clearly likes that movie <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and the other factor the thing that made napoleon dynamite the, even worse is imagine looking into something that you've heard great things about you really don't like it and don't get it but your entire peer group is only speaking in quotes from it for about 18 months yeah. <laughs> it's not a fun time <laughs> i don't know maybe i'll follow up this podcast with the i hate napoleon dynamite podcast at least that'll be <laughs> Much shorter. Well, does his like unpopular? What is it called? Like unpopular opinions or? Something? Oh, feud! I'm on that on Monday. Uh, I think I think the unpopular opinion I'll have on that is about comic books, though. Okay. What about? Like you don't like them? Uh, I I really really look down my nose at the uh, equivalent of like literature. Oh. Thing. Yeah. For sure, yeah. yeah. Totally and not to mention, it, it's also an opinion I have just to be a performative dickhead because there's just a lot of meat there, but... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, I would... I, it's it's in, like, a different... It's in a different... I, I think comic books are different, but, yeah, when people are like, oh, yeah, this, this holds up against, like, Tolstoy, it's like... 
No, it doesn't. Like it's you know what it is. I know a lot. I have a lot of friends who are big comic book fans, and I just don't find it all that coincidental that they could not read a real book to save their lives. Like I have, I have a friend who reads comic books. He borrowed George Carlin's autobiography off of me nine fucking years ago, and won't give it back because he swears he'll get around to it. Yeah. I think that's the only thing that's kept the friendship alive, honestly. It's <laughs> just you waiting for your, your yes. autobiography back. <laughs> right, so what is your, give me, what is your personal history with this book? What, how did you discover it? What, what, what were the, the feelings you got from it? Um, let me see. So, uh, Trying to, I, I guess I, so I had, I didn't even, I hadn't even really heard about David Foster Wallace until after his death. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and I think actually kind of the first I heard about him, I'll have to go back and refine this article. There was an article written in the New Yorker by another, um, another author. It might, it might be David Eggers, although I'm not sure, mm-hmm. um, but another author who was close to him, who it, it was at, uh and it, it was kind of um it was kind of tough on him i mean it was it was sort of being like you know like yeah life is a struggle and like you know david foster wallace talks a lot about you know in infinite jest and in other things he talked a lot about suicide i think it was like something he really um you know obviously was there for him and and i think him and this author had talked about it a lot and kind of you know, knew that, that that was always a possibility, but the author was like, you know, a lot of people, people suffer. Like we, we talked about this. I'm like angry. It was like this guy being like, I'm angry at you. Like, I'm not just sad. Like everybody's sad. Like I'm angry because you couldn't fight through like the suffering. Like you, you, you know, and we, and we talked a lot about fighting through and like doing that. And eventually you succumb to it. Uh, which he did. He um, he hung himself, and uh, and yeah. So that was the first that I heard about David Foster Wallace. So it was kind of interesting. And then, um, and then you know, knew like just had heard him reference. And then I had a roommate who was really into his work and was kind of like, oh yeah, you should read Infinite Jest, but you should actually read these other pieces first because like it, you know, it's it's better to like go in uh to infinite just with some understanding of like of his his work um so i read you know i think i read like good old neon i I listened to like this is water i'd listened to some of his interviews um and maybe i think i read his i read his piece on john mccain uh i read big red sun and then and then i read infinite just Okay. Yeah. And that, that probably helped. Cause like I said, I'm, I'm going into this second big attempt to read the book with a lot more background knowledge. I've been reading some of his essays. I told you, uh, Tracy Austin broke my heart actually is the first thing of his that really like got through to me. Like, okay. I, I understand this now. I get that a little bit. Yeah. I also watched uh end of the tour with J- Jason Siegel portraying DFW and uh, Jesse Eisenberg and actually found him to be very, I mean, again, we're talking somebody playing him. You're going to get the more sympathetic aspects of his character, but uh, yeah, definitely like, okay, I, I might be coming around on this guy a little bit. 
So, so what was your reaction upon the uh, first read? Did you go straight into it and read the whole way through, or did you have a little bit of a start and stop the way many people do with this book? Um, I, uh, how did I read it? Um, yeah, I, I, I probably read like, I probably read like the first 200 pages and then, um, stopped for like for a while. And then I kind of went back and forth between, um, I, I listened to, I listened to a fair amount of it on, on like audiobooks actually. Um, and there's like the, the audiobook version is, is really good. Like the reader is, uh, is excellent. Like, so I'm not, I don't know if you listen to audiobooks at all. Uh, I'm not really familiar with, uh, I'm familiar with the concepts, but I haven't really now. Oh, audio I mean, audiobooks are basically just where they get like a professional reader mm. to read, read a book. And so you listen to it like a book on well, tape. No, no, no. Like I said, I'm, I'm familiar with the concept. I just haven't personally listened to one. I find them, I, I love audiobooks, especially when I'm driving, like a, on a long road trip. They're not, they're not good all the time because, you know, the thing about reading is, is like when you're reading, that's consuming your whole right. mental space. And what can happen with an audiobook is like, I'll really only listen to like a book on tape, um, audiobook, if I'm, if I'm driving on a ro road trip where I don't, where there's like not a lot of, like decisions to make, you know, like I wouldn't mm -hmm. listen to an audiobook driving through Philly, right? You're like in and out and in and out. Um, this is more like long highway driving. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I, I think I was, I was doing some really long drives at the time. Um, forget where we were. I, I remember we, we did like a couple, like seven, eight hour drives. And so that really helped. Uh, I think, yeah, we drove up to Maine and, and, um, so that helped get through a lot of it. Uh, I, I mean, I listened to a lot of it and the reader is, is really excellent. So, um, that was, uh, that, that was my first experience with it. And, um, yeah, I, I, I found it to be really fascinating. I mean, the read, uh, Oh, just to do a side, a side thing. If you, if you do ever want to listen to like, if you, if you're interested in audiobooks, mm -hmm. um, uh, the cold mountain, cold mountain, is an audiobook that's read by the author. I listened to Cold Mountain three times. Wow! I consider Cold Mountain to be my favorite book. Okay. Uh, if you've seen the movie and you're like, that movie sucks. <laughs> I I fully agree that movie sucks. Literally, my like, my only knowledge of Cold Mountain is the movie is the reason Jack White and Renee Zellweger dated for a hot minute. Uh, so. Yeah. I got I got a lot out of it too, Dan. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, they 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 ruined it. Um, which you knew they would. Uh, yeah. Who's yeah. who's the who's the author of Cold Mountain? Um. Oh, uh, Fraser. His name is Charles Fraser, and he actually reads the book, which is pretty rare. Uh -huh. Um, you know, you usually don't have an author reading, but he kind of. Uh, it's it's essentially the book is an interpretation of a family story, like the bare bones of the family story. Like what is known is that he had some like great, great grandfather that was a, like fought in the civil war for the South was injured and decided rather than going back into, into battle when he recovered, he was going to walk home. 
Okay. That, and and so and so his, his like great 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 grandfather did that. There, it's like that's what's known is that mm-hmm. his great great grandfather left the war, walked back to Kentucky, like to Cold mm-hmm. Mountain, where like the family is from. And so it's like his story is of this guy Inman, who is his like great grandfather, you know, like whatever, walking back home. It's it's like an amazing book, just amazing. Uh- Okay. And his like voice, like you know, he's got kind of that like Kentucky Southern, like but not annoying Southern, like it just yeah. It, it, it's well, I I feel like when it comes to Southern accents, uh, Kentucky accents are right there where it's in more of the sing songy, like ooh, this is this is kind of nice. This is like a you know a gentle back rub, and then you get way down there, and then it's like you're being pelted with ice. So. Yeah, in Alabama, and you're like, oh, Lord. <laughs> well, see, all right, you know what? I'd like to uh, get into the breakdown of the pages we read, pages 1 to 33, roughly. Yeah. Um, I find it interesting that you said you listened to it on audiobook just because uh, this first chapter, The Year of Glad, we have uh, our the closest thing we have to a protagonist, Hal and Candenza, who is, he's, uh, what, what is it? He's being checked out by like the board of admissions at the famous it's a college or an academy i know it's tennis Uh, related he's now in um he's he's now uh at a college he's at university i think it's university of arizona Mm -hmm. and so this this the scene is him uh going into this room with these three like pro rectors who Mm -hmm. are um you know, it's basically the last step before he's accepted into this college. Right. And he's in there with uh, his uncle. His uncle is, uh, well, speaking for him, but a little more literally than just that. Um, So what we glean in this first chapter, also under the year of glad, is uh, he has a very deep inner monologue. He's observing everything around him really detailing one of the things i'm interested that you listen to this on audiobook is one of my big pet peeves i had with this first chapter is i don't think anyone in human history thinks or actually speaks this way so i really actually want to hear that audiobook just to see if that comes across a little uh a little different they're going down the details uh i think the gist is that he's a great essayist but his testing is quite beneath himself. They're trying to get him to explain himself a little and uh, things don't go very well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of, it kind of like, so this, I I mean, I don't, um, I I don't, I don't, I don't want to do any, like, I'm going to try not to do any like big, like reveals for the, for the, the later stages of the book. Um, uh-huh. And, and the thing that's, the thing that's tough about talking specifically about this first chapter is like when you, after you've read the book, like I read, like I read the book and listened to it mm-hmm. and then you get to the end and then you're like, wait, wait a second. And, and I went back and reread the first chapter, this mm-hmm. chapter. And there's like a lot of stuff in this chapter there's like, I mean, there's like certain sentences in this chapter that are like wildly important to the book. 
Okay, so it's kind of they're they're dropping the breadcrumbs very very early before you even realize you should be looking before you have any context to put them in more or less. Right, and the weird the weird thing, and I kind of like alluded to this a little bit, and I'm gonna I'm gonna like try not to like ruin too much too much of the book. One of the, the at least in my opinion, one of the one of the the things about this the structure of this book is there's basically like this chapter takes place a year after the rest of the book. So a year has passed and you'll kind of, you, and, and I don't think that's a big, a big reveal because you, you do realize like in the, you know, within the first 30 pages, they're like going back to Hal being at like a year earlier. Right. So the book takes like this chapter happens. The, then he jumps back a year in time. Mm-hmm. There's the whole book. And then the book cuts out at this like extremely important moment. It's like everything in the book leads up to this moment. The book ends, and then you get this one chapter that happens a year later that really just kind of alludes to what has happened in the past year, which is not written about at all, but is like actually the most important. It, it's like it's, it's kind of it sounds like it's going from Act Two straight to the epilogue. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and see, the reason I'm not worried about spoiling that is because as somebody who's found it such a difficult read, that is something that actually intrigues me to to move forward. I mean, I know one of the big adjectives that gets thrown around for this book is uh, disruptive. Yeah. Both with not only the massive amount of footnotes, but uh, chronologically, there's some stuff happening there. So I'm I'm willing to allow that, like, again, I need to get through... I need to climb the mountain to fully look down and appreciate the the path that led me there. Yeah. But you might, I mean, you might still hate it. You know, it's, it's like, if you don't like, if you don't like his writing that, you know, that I, I would say that's like, that's not even, I can't even argue with you. Like that's, that's just like, I don't think his writing is meant to be like beautiful. Like I don't think right. like I've been, I've been reading Chekhov recently Mm-hmm. Chekhov's writing is is beautiful. Like Chekhov has this whole story about this. It's in like his, his short stories. It's about this man who's a coachman whose son has died, and he's trying to like connect with people. Just like everybody he interacts with, he's just trying to like tell them about how his son has died, and like nobody will like have a conversation with. And it, and it's and in the and in the end, the coachman just ends up like just talking to his horse and it's like a but it's it's like a short story that's like 10 pages and it's it's beautiful i mean he's like describing snow falling and this guy just kind of sitting there in his coach as like snow piles up on him and like then he gets a fair and he's like how he sort of brings it up in conversation and people don't want to hear but i mean it's beautiful it's like beautiful writing and you know and david foster wallace it's like it's it's not necessarily beautiful writing in the same right like there's a there's a a few tropes i i want to get to from the start that have just been kind of kind of my beef um i i I might be reading ahead on the one thing and i might be projecting but uh that first chapter the year of glad when he's there and he's being interviewed for the proctor's office there does seem to be a thing already going on of, oh, in his mind, he is expressing himself perfectly. 
eloquently and intelligently, but everybody else hears like the shrieking of an animal, which one it's, you know, it, it, a lot of this book does feel very nineties so far and something very nineties right off the bat is it, again, I might be projecting is the, the poor, the literal misunderstood genius. Like, oh, I have such a world inside me, but the but but the cruel planet cannot, you know, uh, can, they, they can never understand the poor dullards. So that's something that kind of reigns against me. The other thing, and I've seen this with a lot of literary stuff, is uh, a lot of de- a lot of detail porn, like you know. I look like I'm recording right now on the bed. Like if you look at the stitching, it is left with the imprint almost of a bird's feet that was sad on the side of the road. The blanket was stitched such and such like, you know, a, a lot of a lot, a lot of detail that doesn't feel like it's building up to anything. But again, right. I'm allowing for all this. This seems to be something of his style, really kind of picking apart everything. Yeah, I've, I've heard um, I've heard that he once described himself as like a floating eyeball okay in a room and he he didn't actually necessarily love his own writing style okay like he 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 felt that that his writing style was a, was somewhat detached i mean he was like i i'm very very good at writing about specific details mm-hmm. of situations and there's a lot of that even from the you know, the earlier, from this first chapter, you, you get that, you know, there's a moment where Hal's dragged out of the room and he's put on the, in, in the men's room. And there's, a, you know, there, I mean, there's some funny, I, I think like one thing I really do like about this book is the humor. Like there's, there's a lot of humor in it. And, you know, one thing he remarks on is like, why is it that in, in like emergency situations, the bathroom is always the place that you're supposed to go like right. you know, there's some kind of emergency like and that's something that you intuitively you know that but you may never have actually thought that you know right like but then when he writes that you're like oh yeah that is true yeah why is that you know as, as like a teacher when like if somebody gets cut if something happens you know it's like okay go to the you know go to the bathroom like mm-hmm. you know and then and in this situation where hal is like tackled and dragged out he's taken to the bathroom and he gives this really detailed description of the smell of the bathroom the kind of like the, the way the tiles are the way your face feels against these tiles and you know the sounds that are happening in the bathroom it is i mean it is it, you know i think detail porn is um uh I, I think that's possible i mean you know I, I think if he if he cut if he'd like edited out his detail if he'd if he'd done like an Ernest hemingway and just been like or or going back to Chekhov like in Chekhov they talk you know there's a whole idea of Chekhov's gun where right it's like you know if something is mentioned in a in writing it needs to it needs to be important to the storyline like mm-hmm. don't mention it like Chekhov was very much like if you mention a gun in in act one right the gun has got to fire by act three I was uh throw I, stuff in I, I, I was watching a TV series with my girlfriend, uh, Louis C.K.'s Horace and Pete, recently, which yeah. is amazing if you've never seen it. But yeah, I've started watching it. Watching. It, is, it is excellent. Right. But uh, having watched it a few times now, there is uh, a big thing that happens somewhere where somebody, let's just say, is fallen 
And the thing that befells them, you realize on second viewing, like, oh my God, they point to that fucking thing like for the entire hour. And yet you still don't see it when it's coming, even though in retrospect, it's it's Chekhov's gun. Like Chekhov's gun was sitting in my lap the entire fucking time. And then I didn't notice when they reached out of the TV into my lap and yanked it out. Like, oh, what the fuck was that doing there? So very, very <laughs> effective. Um, you yeah. mentioned, you I, mentioned before, oh, go ahead, sorry. Well, I think I think with um, David Foster Wallace's writing, he he does not adhere to that. Like no. he's very much like I'm. I'm putting in a lot. They, I mean, what's interesting is is he does and he doesn't. It's like he puts in a lot of extraneous stuff that may or may not have anything to do with the plot. It might just be there. I think a lot of what he puts in there is actually meant for, for comedic value. Um, although I, I did listen to an interview where he was, it was like the interviewer was asking, they're like, she's like, yeah, a lot of people really find this story very funny. And he's like, yeah, I get that a lot. And he's like, honestly, when I was writing it, I didn't find it funny at all. Like it was, it was like, to me, this is a tragedy. Like I was, I was writing a story about like the, what I view as like the great American tragedy. And it's interesting that people get like laugh at it. Um, Cause he's like, I, I didn't, I didn't laugh at this story when I was writing it. Um, but I think there, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of humor in it. You know, what I find is a lot of humor in these details. Uh, but then there are also, now that I'm rereading it, there are also these like very subtle clues that are thrown in. It's like, I'll read a sentence that I, you know, had read it before, but now that I've, rereading the book i'm like oh whoa like that that's actually important that's that's going to be important later on in this book and i just i didn't realize it in the first reading right his uh his style of writing does seem to really re reward the rereader because it seems just in what we're discussing it's uh what i refer to as detail porn you can almost see that as the cleverness of like obfuscating the really important detail in a bunch of non-important detail yeah. but still it's kind of you know grabs you when it does come out you mentioned before i'm going to jump a little ahead here in where uh, we talked about this thing where you talked about with the bathroom oh that's where people go in an emergency you don't really think about that much the one he had in the final mini chapter here we did uh may 9th year of the depend adult undergarment I'm sure they'll explain it eventually. I hate that fucking chapter naming thing. Again, very 90s. Like, even the years are named after products, man. I'm sure I'm projecting that as enough. But uh, when he makes the line, sons inherently answer the phones just like their father, that actually made me think for a good while. Like, okay, that's a good detail I never thought of before. But, yeah, no. Like, made me, made me miss my dad, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It it is it is true, um, and it and it is, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. He does. I mean, that's what he you know talking about like the floating eyeball. Like he notices, you know, certain things in in life that you know that I think a lot of people would miss. I mean, I think that is what he struggled with a lot in his life. Is he was almost so like hyper observant that it was hard you know and he talks about this in in um uh tracy austin broke my heart where he's like i can i could never be a great athlete because i can't 
just turn my brain off and play. Right. Like right. I can't just be in the moment. I'm, I'm like so hyper observant of these, all these little details that are, that happen in life and that, you know, interest me, but he, he, he could never just like step outside of it and just be present and be. And that, that is actually the great takeaway I took from the Mary Austin thing uh, that I, I just saw as like a great, almost like a mathematical theorem which is the whole thing is we want to hear these stories of these people who were driven to greatness, but the honest to God truth is part of the reason they were so great is they never had the self-awareness to bring themselves down, but also the self-awareness to, you know, describe it to the rest of us. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's like, I, I always hate when they do that in like, you know, they always do it in when you're watching sports where like, you know, like, all right, well, you know, what were you thinking when you were like, when during the inbound pass on that shot, like that last shot you took, like, what were you thinking? And it's like, I am nowhere near a, a, a professional level athlete, but I do, I've played sports my whole life. And I know in like, everybody knows in moments that you would do something well in sports, mm-hmm. it's mindless. Like everybody knows, like, what were you thinking? Like, I oh, was yeah. thinking nothing. Like the reason I was able to do that was because like my brain had turned off and I just reacted. That, that great, that great Bill Burr line. He says like when, when, when a fucking running back, you know, does a, does a flip over the entire defensive line into the end zone, the other players aren't looking at him saying, Oh, why didn't I think of that? Like, yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's something innate in his ability that he's, he's worked and practiced to not think about it. Yeah. And then yeah. we immediately went, Oh, how'd you come up with that humdinger? Like, uh, I turn my brain off for long chunks at a time. So I don't have to think when it comes down to it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I, and, and I, and I think David Foster Wallace was, is the opposite in that he could never turn his brain. off. Right. Like you, it, you, and when you watch his interviews, he'll be asked a question and he's constantly sort of like, he'll give half an answer and then he'll be like, does that that doesn't make any sense? All right, let me do it. Like, let, can I can I like revise this? And he's always like answering and then revising and then revising the revision mm-hmm. and then and you know. But sometimes like some of his like interviews are are really perceptive and really great. Um, but he's always like apologizing, second guessing himself. Yeah, and being like, can we edit that out? And and uh, yeah, and and I and I think that was very, you know, very much like who he was i mean it's probably you know one of the things that eventually drove you know why he why he killed himself um i mean who really knows but i, I think he really just struggled with yeah. like i mean the- it seemed it definitely seems like it affected his writing just in that it's it's very strange to see an author that is so prolific in articles and essays but only completed two novels in his lifetime the pale king was done posthumously yeah. So, like, even there, like, I mean, maybe Infinite Jest, uh, if only writing two novels in co- complete in your lifetime, and one of them is a gigantic tome, I mean, maybe <laughs> Infinite Jest's entire thing is just, he was just trying to find a way to make his fucking brain work for him on this one task. Because, I mean, it definitely, look at this fucking thing. Like, it shows. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, <laughs> I think, uh, I mean, I think 
like one of one of the I should say when I was also when I was reading Infinite Jest, I, I like I said I had this roommate and and he's a, a huge fan of David Foster Wallace, so he. Oh, you so know, you kind of had a Sherpa through the whole thing. Yeah, I well, um, he. I, I think we we discussed him more before and then after. Mm -hmm. um, and you can't. There is this thing called like endless summer that people do, mm -hmm. where uh, during the summer. Um, and it actually, I think in a certain way, like people will, will like do this thing where they read the book at a pace that actually matches the pace of the book. And like, it's just this thing where like people be online and discussing this and that. And, and I didn't really want to get into that. Um, cause like I said, I don't, you know, I, I don't, I don't always love the fandom of David Foster Wallace. I'm like, right. I'm going to read this book. I'm going to like. I mean, I, I honestly hope this podcast kind of works as something for people like that, because I am committed to get to the end. And I mean, for a book that is like famously hard to get through, I'm wondering if uh, not only for the listeners of this podcast, but for myself, like, you know, I'm committing to 30 pages a week. Like, well, I can do 30 pages a week, you know, yeah. for 40 some podcast episodes. So yeah. I don't know. I, I think that will definitely uh, affect my enjoyment of the whole thing it, it, not that I'm literally doing it as a job, as opposed to, you know, something to unwind with at the end of the day. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's not really like a book to unwind with. It will, no. it might, it might put you to sleep though. Um. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I, I want to, I, I just want to press ahead on the actual material here. So uh, we have, the the year of the depend adult undergarment this is what i've referred to as the pothead speech because it is it is very very long-winded it is about uh i i only realized this looking up that this is actually hal speaking i thought this could have been another character i don't think he is actually named in this chapter as to who in fact is speaking but it is it, Hal. no that's not no it's not Hal. that's not Hal. uh you're talking about the guy who's waiting for the the weed to show yes up. yes yeah. Yeah. That is not how. No, that's not how. Is it too early to say who that is? Is it it's I not mean, anybody I would, I would else who met? Not, that guy's not a, a major character at all. Like I think that's his only time in this book. I hate that chapter so much more then because it is just it's it's very, very long. It's uh this is where we get also into another postmodern trope where uh, we will have paragraphs that go on pages and sentence. We have one paragraph goes on for five pages in this section and the sentences get longer and longer. I, I, I guess the gist is just like infinitely like, I, I know the one thing I kind of like that that I found funny is like, oh, I'm trying to get this girl to bring a bunch of weed, but I don't want to feel self-conscious about it. So I'm pretending actually I have a really bad meth problem and I'm using the meat weed to get over my meth. And by the way, for the meth, we have ding, 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 our first fucking footnote to uh, tell us that methamphetamine hydrochloride is crystal meth. The yeah. first of many footnotes. But uh, yeah, that's really it for that chapter. You have anything to say about that chapter? Having Well, it? I mean, I think a lot of what, you know, a lot of the... Um, uh, and this is actually, you know, paraphrasing what I've heard david foster wallace say is is the you know his what a lot of what he's talking about in this book is um he's talking about american culture and mm -hmm. it's really like the whole book is 
is very much a critique of like an idea of a culture based around like personal self-satisfaction mm-hmm. as being like the primary, like the most important thing, mm-hmm. you know, like kind of like, you know, you hear people say like, whatever makes you happy, like, what do you, well, whatever, you know, what should I do? Be like, well, what do you think will make you happy? And I think he um, really, I, I think what resonated about this book, book with, with me, and, and maybe even so, more so, I don't know if you've listened to his speech, This Is Water, yet. Um, I, I, I have not yet, unfortunately. It's, it's really good. Well, yeah, or you may not like it, but wow. I, I enjoy it. Um, <laughs> uh, but he he really had an issue with um, this idea of just like whatever makes me happiest mm-hmm. uh, is is the best thing that I should do. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. that's that's something I can agree with. I've I've said multiple times before. Most of the good things in my life have come from discipline and denying myself. Like very very rarely do I find indulgence to be something that betters me. Right. Right. Um, yeah, like self-sacrifice ideas of like, you know, we don't have like, you know, it's kind of like the, the, the famous speech in like a few good men where he's like, you know, you don't, you don't know what honor means. Um, and it's like, we don't have, like, we will say honor as like a culture law. Oh, yeah. Like honor. But it's like, what in American culture is actually honorable like what what do when do we actually adhere to this right. idea of honor like uh my, my buddy's girlfriend came on to me and I, I i didn't fuck her i'm 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 up there in valhalla with the rest of them because that's the scale i guess right <laughs> but in a certain way that's that is like that's that's an honorable thing it's like you know it's 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 a small thing but denying your own like immediate self-satisfaction is honorable um second uh y- you know so but but i think we you know i think a lot of his critique and, and what he's talking and, and so the reason that he went into um you know he, he's focusing on uh a lot of the book focuses on a, a drug rehabilitation center mm-hmm. and david foster wall spent a lot of time at drug rehab centers and so he's you know, researching this mm-hmm. is like exploring the idea of compulsion. Right. And, and I, and I, I did read that he is actually one of the, uh, the rare few with marijuana who really did like, you know, we hear how marijuana is a very, very light drug. However, he was one of those who seemed to little like smoke himself into like an absurd oblivion, like using, using marijuana the way you would use heroin for basically. <laughs> David Foster Wallace did. Oh yeah, yeah, and that it definitely leads in there. Now, something yeah. something I read that he was you like a heavy, heavy like morning to night smoker for a number of years, and only got away from it when he realized he he was like losing his uh, losing his strength as a writer, basically. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's you know that's something that's not talked about that often in the in the marijuana discussion is is because it's so you know it's like illegal and everything oh it doesn't like doesn't do anything and really the thing that like not that i never smoked but like when i was in high school i did more often and the thing that kind of made me really like question it was hanging out at my friend's dad's house who was like huge pot i mean really you know old hippie like Uh 
and and all that like he had a farm it was great we'd play disc golf and and instruments and but his dad it was like the standard marijuana fun activities yeah fun father especially in high school where it's like i had like a lot of pressure from my parents to be able to like go out to like tony's house and it's just like anything goes man like you know (laughs) just yeah like and it's like this guy is awesome this is so cool but then there'd be times where he'd be like telling me a story of like, oh, this is when I was on like tour. And it was like this story about this beach ball that he'd been like tripping and laying on his back and this beach ball was flying up in the air and almost hit him and like somebody blocked it. And it's like a great story. And then like he told it to me again the next time I was there. And then he told it to me again, like the next time. And like, I think like the fifth or sixth time mm-hmm. I'd heard he was like telling me this story in exactly the same way and me kind uh-huh. of like you don't remember telling me this story like mm. literally us sitting here in these same exact chairs like and and then i was kind of like oh maybe maybe we like does do something to your brain like this guy is like yeah this, you know? <laughs> I, I i had a roommate a few years ago who was a heavy heavy and only started smoking later in his into his middle age a heavy marijuana user and it actually kind of like disturbed me like he would you know tell me something and then forget what it was eight minutes later and then forget another eight minutes later like dude i don't care how good you feel that would terrify me if if that was happening to me like i accidentally stumble over my words and my immediate thought is oh i'm having a stroke this is the end uh timing out three two one by life so something that big i can't i can't even imagine yeah yeah Okay, I can't believe that I mean, I character think, doesn't know, come back. Sorry, say again. Oh, I mean, I, th- I think, you know, and you, you can imagine somebody like David Foster Wallace um, and other people I've known like this where they know the negative side effects of weed, but they're like, I, this is the only thing that keeps me, like, stable. Like, right. They're like, I don't, it, like, I, I have, it's a family friend who has, like, severe chronic pain and she mm-hmm. rips, like, huge bong rips like every morning and she's like she's she's like no i don't i don't love being stoned like i can't i know it's like it's it's a better alternative but like i the pain is this is the the only thing that really you know she's like i could be doing this or i could be taking like serious addictive pain meds you know and that, 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 that was actually how I developed a little bit of a drinking problem was when my uh, anxiety turned on in my early 20s and panic attacks and shit like that. I just I need like that end of the night after just getting through that whole day. It's just I needed that fucking calm space. And this was the only place I got it. So it's like, yeah, I understand it's bad for me, but the rest of the day without it is very bad, too. And that's not even like, you know. A withdrawal thing it's just like my brain is fighting itself all the fucking time and i just need a fucking liquid blanket to put over it for a few hours to get me to bed yeah yeah all right yeah such is life all right uh let's get into these last two very short chapters here uh we're introduced to the character been referenced so far this is the first time we meet himself uh the patriarch of the incandenza family who I'm not sure if I got this right. He posed as a professional conversationalist to force his son to talk. And a bit more of what we saw earlier, the father is trying to, you know, communicate with him how from his point of view is communicating, but somehow it's being lost 
it's being lost in transition and Hal is not being viewed as he is viewed himself. Um, looking forward to more of himself. That's what they call him as in the man himself, capital H. And he's going to be pretty interesting, I believe, as we go along. But uh, so th- this is uh, this is more just for me, a reframing of the first chapter. We're learning a little bit more of how Hal sees the world and how the world sees him. Uh, anything in particular to add on that one? Well, so this is this is one of the um, few chapters that really jumps back in time. Okay. Um, and uh, I mean, what's one of the things that's interesting about this story is it's um, it mostly focuses on Hal and Mario and Orin, who are the three brothers. Right. Um, but you know, himself is their father, uh, who um, who uh, is kind of this like this this brilliant mind. Um, and I, I don't, I, I don't know if this is going to ruin, I, I, we, I, I think this is going to come up pretty soon. So I'm just going to say it anyway. So himself commits suicide. Okay. And actually most of the book takes place. I, I think it's maybe even mentioned in the first chapter past, but, but you're going to know it like pretty soon, right? Uh, you know, within like, so most of the book is going to take place in the aftermath of his suicide. Okay. Um, I wouldn't consider that too much of it for, for a book that needs to be viewed in context as a whole. I'm, I'm not too worried about uh, big spoilers on this one. So, okay. Um, yeah. So, uh, and, and so, but the, the book, the times that it jumps back are with, generally within the Incandenza family. So there's going to be chapters where himself is like going back to his childhood and writing about you know, writing about his childhood and then actually even himself's father uh, has a chapter as well. Um, and I think that's gonna come on early on. So, so there is, there's actually four generations of Incandenza because Hal's grandfather in his chapter will reference his own father who's Hal's great grandfather. Okay. And kind of like the figure of Hal's great grandfather. So you get this, there is this like narrow, this like longer narrative of this family and kind of this, these, I mean, these different, these different personalities in the, in the family, but also this, this like thread of continuity that, that runs through this particular family. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to that. I actually, I've been reaching out to people for who are going to be guests for this. And I have already had somebody specifically request grandfather in Candenza's chapter that he can be on to discuss that one. That's yeah. That's a great, that's a great chapter. That's like, it's almost, and it's interesting in that, like a lot of people like that chapter can be read outside of the book because it, 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 I would say it's similar to that chapter that you hate with the dude, with the guy who's like waiting for the, right. hot delivery in that it doesn't have anything to do with anything else like i think it it, it was described to me as a drunken soliloquy yeah yeah um that's my favorite part of any book yeah uh yeah that's that's a good way of putting it i mean i think that i think like my interpretation of the chapter of the guy waiting for the weed because i was sort of i read that and was like Oh, okay, so this is, I remember that character's name and I'm like, this is going to be an important character. 
he's like mentioned by other people, but he's not, he's not a character in the book. So I think that it's, it's kind of, it's, it's like David Foster Wallace, like trying to get in inside the mind of somebody who has these extreme compulsions. Cause there's going to be like a lot of people, um, uh, that are, that are, that are recovering addicts. Um, and, and so it's, it's like really talking about this idea of like addiction and compulsion and like the internal struggle to be like, this is the last time I'm done with it. Mm -hmm. I know what it does to my life. Like, I don't like doing it. But meanwhile, he's like currently waiting to get this giant amount of weed delivered to him, which he's like going to like punish himself with, you know, like, oh, I'm going right. to smoke till I'm sick. I'm going to smoke till like, I'm going to smoke so much that like, I'm never going to want to smoke again. Right. Very much the, the demon of addiction where they're willing, they come up with all these ways to get around it. None of which actually involve just stopping. Right. Just like, like, like the old, like just one more fix before I go to rehab, please. I'll go to rehab. I just need that one last one. So, yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, I think, uh, I don't, I don't think Don Gately has been introduced quite yet, but he's going to be introduced soon. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, I haven't I haven't gotten to him yet. I'm 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 pretty much up to the next episode. I'm up to like page sixty, and okay. I don't believe he's been introduced yet. He's a. It's like Don and Hal are like the two main characters in the book, and Don's like um, an addict, which you which you find out right away. Um, and he he's in my opinion, he's like the best character in the whole book. He's like awesome, and and and. David Foster Wallace gets much deeper into his his like psychology of addiction mm-hmm. than than what he went into in this first guy like who's talking about the weed. Okay, so Don Don Galley, you said, Gate, isn't it? Don Gately. Don Gately. Okay, all right. We have that to look forward to. So to wrap it up, it was, it was funny too. One time, it was like right when I first met uh, Shane Gillis, and okay. I and I like. I remember going up to him being like, uh, you're, you're Don Gately. Like you're, you're like this guy, Don Gately. <laughs> and he was like, I don't know who the fuck. You're. I was like, you haven't read infinite Jester," right? He's like, nah. So you um, know, what's funny. His, his podcast partner, Matt McCusker, apparently infinite Jest is one of his favorite books. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. And I mentioned, I said that to, cause Matt was there. I was like, do you think Shane's like Don Gately? And, and Matt was like, yeah, I could see that for sure. <laughs> 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 nice uh all right well check out matt and shane's secret podcast they're a, a fi- we're officially affiliated they come up on episode one sure I, I have no problem grabbing whatever lit bro audience exists as a subgenre in their fan base mm-hmm. yeah. um so but, but if you want a mental picture or, or form your own mental picture but like i had this mental picture of this guy uh-huh. and i saw shane i was like that's kind of what he looks like oh i love when that happens when you have a picture for a completely fictional person and then that fictional person just strolls through the fucking door and like oh my god i i birthed this from my imagination yeah all right uh final little mini chapter here may 9th year of the independent adult undergarment uh sons answer their phones like their fathers hal is in a room with his brother mario i believe mario was sleeping 
Orin calls in on the phone, tells how he has much to say, hangs up and runs off. I don't know if I missed something there. It seemed like a nice little blip, but it is the introduction of brothers Mario and Orin, Orin in Candenza. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Orin is their older brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've, I've, had tr- I've had trouble figuring out the birth order. I know Orin is older, but I haven't figured out where everyone else fits so in. So then I, I believe that Mario is second. So Mario is, is severely... Um, uh, I mentioned something about him sleeping a lot. Yeah, I think. well, he's, he's like severely uh, disabled. Um, okay. He's actually, he's like many, many fans of this book. Mar- Mario... And Condenza is like their favorite character. Really? And like Mario is is like I would say the only like truly good and kind person in in like the entire book. Okay. Um, in a certain way. Uh and it, yeah, Mario's Mario's just like a fantastic human being. He basically is described as looking kind of like a fire hydrant. He's like about the size of a fire hydrant. He can't physically hold he can't even like you know hold a tennis racket he's 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 he can he can like walk and get around and mentally he's all there well i think he has trouble like remembering things but but is is like you know he's kind of a person that that like every everybody really cares for him okay you know he sort of lives at he lives at the enfield tennis academy he does like videography for them and he's like a very good videographer uh similar to his his father um right. was also a, a very good videographer as well um yeah so uh and hal and mario share a room um and then Orin is like a complete mess of a human right. um and you kind of like get to know him he's all he's like a he's a he's a punter He's a punter yeah. for the Cardinals. Yeah. Yeah. Which, uh, yeah, that's where I'm at uh, ahead of that. I'm definitely getting a bit of a feel for Oren. I believe he refers to his one night stands as uh, subjects. Right. Which we've all, we've all met a few like that. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, I mean, he's a, he's like a broken, broken human in a lot of ways. Um, uh, yeah, and, and he's kind of, I mean, it's interesting because he has this, like, he's, like, physically far away from the family. He, like, yeah, I, he's, I mean, he, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say he's, like, a major character in the same way that Hal is a major character. The other thing that's interesting is now you'll see that Hal is being referred to in the third person. Um, there's only, it's like that first chapter, he's, it's first, it's first person. And then after this, he's, it's going to be, like, third person okay um which you know which sort of changes that up but um Orin's not not as major of a character as Hal or Don Gately but but he is important to the storyline and and certain like you know twists and turns that 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 happen um and then what's great is actually and I'm I'm like the next person that's gonna that's gonna do this so that the next chapter that you're at is where they uh, where he introduces the entertainment, mm-hmm. which is like the the thing, like one of 
the big things in the book. Oh, okay, okay. I know what you're talking. All right, yeah, there's there are film cartridges, which I'm actually having a hard time uh, picturing in my head what the actual cartridge looks like. For whatever reason, I keep picturing old, like, Kodak camera film, like the little cylinders they would come in. But yeah, I, I, I don't think it's important that you get it. I, I mean, I think, like, listening to interviews, um, he wasn't trying to get he wasn't trying to do like hard science fiction. Right. You know, it's, it's like science fiction and then it plays, it takes place in like an imagined future. Right. But you know, like hard science fiction is where these guys are like, all right, if we're going to like do time travel, right. What's the practical way for this this mechanism? Whereas he's kind of like, yeah, there's, there's these things that I talk about, but I didn't really like flush them out. Like I I just kind of like think about like early Netflix. I mean, a lot of people say is, you know, pre-Netflix, he kind of, he he kind of anticipated Netflix. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely made an analogy to uh, YouTube while reading some of that, just to, because it wasn't just like films, but like, oh, the, they're airing the, uh, the morning workout cartridge type right. thing. But, uh, but I, I know specifically what you're talking about with the entertainment, that's with a, a big E and it is, it is a singular film cartridge that will come to play quite a bit in this book but we're not there yet we're just finished part fucking one yeah of the i hate infinite jazz podcast <laughs> dan thank you so much for uh, not only being here but for help setting us off on our maiden journey and building the goddamn well you came up with a schematic of the boat let's put it that way there we go there, there we go, go. yeah so yeah um thank you for doing this i'm sure we'll have you back on it's a big fucking book so it's a big fucking book. <laughs> but uh, yeah, man, uh, thank you. This was this was really good. I'm I'm liking this as the first episode. My pleasure, man. This is great. Awesome. Yeah. All right, so All we're right. going to formally formally end formally formally end the podcast right now. But Dan and I will continue speaking because we are friends, and you're not allowed to hear that. Goodbye. <laughs> All right. Yeah, dude, that was great. I I really dug that. Yeah, yeah, that's fun. It's yeah, it's interesting. Like break, like really, really kind of breaking it down. And I guess I mean we didn't we didn't really like delve into like specific quotes and and sentences and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. My know. my my note taking is getting a little better already for chapter two because I'm literally reading and typing at the same time. Yeah. So already as I'm getting into part two, I'm getting down more quotes and stuff. So if we yeah. have you back, it'll be a bit more on that. I, I honestly think ultimately the the I hate part of this is going to be more just to get attention, but I'm, I'm really trying to put this more as like a begrudging book club is how right. I would pitch this. So. Right. Yeah. You know, and it's, I mean, it's possible. I, I, I mean, I actually like the idea of coming at something from like a position of like annoyance and, and anger <laughs> that, like, you know, it's like, I wouldn't listen to a podcast of somebody who's like, uh, David, all right, this is like the Bible here. It, it's like, okay, <laughs> yeah. you know, because it's just going to, it's like everything, it, it, everything is just going to be like a, a triumph. This is a triumph. Mm-hmm. I, I remember I, I, I saw I saw Modest Mouse one time, and between every song, the lead singer pulled out this book about Led Zeppelin mm-hmm. and just read passages about how great Led Zeppelin was. <laughs> And, and each passage ended with Led Zeppelin had triumphed. <laughs> I 
I love that as an idea for a format for a concert. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's pretty fucking cool. Yeah, right. it was it was great. Uh <laughs> nice. All right, man. Well, yeah, thank you. Um, I'll uh I'll, I'll let you know when I run out of guests and I and I come back to to Big Daddy number one for you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, one thing one one of the of course I didn't I didn't talk about, but I like kind of when I'm talking about this like dark humor. Okay. There's this great part um, where, you know, it's when Hal's been like mm -hmm. um, strapped to the gurney. If, if you like, have it there, if you have it there and you want to read it, you could, you could read it and I'll, uh, I'll, I'll cut it out and I'll use that as the intro. All right. Give me just a second. Okay. Um, Keep in mind, I'm also deciding on format, kind of loosey-goosey as I go as well, so. Um, so three chairs were molded orange plastic. Three of them, three of them down the row were occupied by different people, all of whom were holding empty prescription bottles and perspiring freely. This would have been bad enough, but in the end chair, right up next to the strap secured head of my stretcher was a t-shirted woman with barnwood skin and a trucker's cap and a bad starboard list who began to tell me lying there restrained and immobile about how she had seemingly overnight suffered a sudden and anomalous gigantism of her right breast, which she referred to as a titty. She had an almost parodic Quebecois accent and described the titties present or presenting and describe the titties presenting history and possible diagnosis for almost 20 minutes before I was rolled away. That was, I did, I did remember the line that she referred to it as a titty and yeah. her, the legend of the titty that followed. Yeah. I, I mean, I do like the, the, I, like I said, I don't think his writing is, is like, he's not like Chekhov. He's certainly not like a Shakespeare or mm. something, but, Dude, but I'm, I'm coming right out of a Dostoyevsky book into this and it is, uh, it is a neck. It, it is, it is a little bit of whiplash. Right. Yeah. I don't think he wrote the book to be enjoyed. Like, mm. you know, so I think the, I, I mean, I think the fact that you don't enjoy it is not necessarily like, the wrong reaction okay i mean i remember talking with steve clark he said what if what if you end up loving this book by the end i'm like honestly that'd be the, the greatest fucking story arc i i would love <laughs> if this became my favorite book yeah it would be it would be i, I you know it's 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 dense there's like a lot there and, and now rereading it i'm like wow there really is <laughs> a lot like holy shit that sentence is really important and like it's just kind of dropped in there. Yeah, I, I missed it, of course, the first time because it's not the payoff to that sentence. You know, it's not like reading a normal book where like something is thrown in important and then like chapter end later. Yeah, you, you you get the payoff. It's like he throws in something and then you like nothing happens for 500 pages. And then <laughs> and then there's the punchline. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's it it really is crazy that like nothing happening is a major theme of the book cuz I know that was my complaint but that's what people have told me. But yeah, I, I don't know. It's, book, gonna, it's about it, boredom and so his a, a lot of, you know, kind of what he said is like he's like I'm writing a book about the board like how our country is so bored that we're turning to these like 
sort of like mindless way means of entertainment to like try to like stave off this boredom like you know we've we've hit this this point at least you know and he really focuses a lot of his critique on like white middle class america because he's like you know he's like that's what i know like i'm not gonna try to write about like life in the projects because i don't know that well, I'll be I'll be very interested about the next chapter when he pretty much just puts on blackface for four pages. I'm very confused about that. Oh yeah, or Dean. Oh, yeah, that's similar. That is similar to um, uh, the other the other chapter with the, the guy waiting for the weed, and that's not a character that's ever like. It's it's essentially he's writing about the backstories of these characters that are going to be at the um, at the drug rehab center. Okay. okay. So when you hear their name later, you know who that is. And gotcha. Like, okay. But it's it's yeah, it's not. It, that's that's like the only uh, time he does. He, he goes into Ebonics. <laughs> okay. Again, another really '90s thing at the time, but right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, shit, yeah. if, if if Mark Twain could get away with writing in vernacular, I, I guess, you know, why not give it a shot? Yeah. All right, yeah. man, again, yeah, thank you for doing this. This is, this is a lot of fun. Yeah, it's my pleasure. All right, man, I'll let you get back to being the real American, saving lives while yeah. I sit peel, around. This is my... how I save lives. I peel plastic off of visor pieces. <laughs> hey. If that's what actually gets it done, that's fine. It doesn't doesn't look yep. <laughs> doesn't yeah. look it won't look exciting in the biopic. <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right, buddy. Good talking to you. Yeah, likewise. Take See care. you, Matt.